The series is called You Are Here because we're talking about how God meets us wherever we are. And if you didn't catch Pastor Stephanie's sermon last week, trying to help us understand how we don't need to wait for God to show up, but rather we have to show up to where God is already present in our everyday lives. You should really get on the website and go back and listen to that. It'll help you understand the larger conversation. Uh, Let's pray together before we look at the, the scripture and dig into our topic for the morning. Jesus, we love you so much, and we're grateful that you have promised us that whenever we're gathered together, you are with us. That's an amazing promise. No matter what we're going through this morning, we can depend upon your presence, upon you comforting us and challenging us and reminding us that you will always be with us and that nothing can separate us from the love that you have for us. We're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, okay, but how many of you are struggling to accomplish more things than you have time to accomplish in a given day? Oh, you want to raise your hands. Okay, feel free. (laughs) Feel free. How many of you have said the phrase or implied it, there aren't enough hours in the day? Yeah, okay, all right. Congratulations. You are busy. And being busy is very important in the 21st century. Because being busy means what? Anybody know? You're really important. You can't be important unless you're busy. That's what it feels like. Notice how many common conversations you have the next week if you, if you ask people how they're doing. One of the things they're going to say is, I am really busy really busy. I've got a lot of things to do. Now, nobody says, because I'm really important, right? That's a socially unacceptable add-on to the conversation. You can try it out this week and let me know how it goes if you want. I'm really busy because I'm really important. Test that out, will you? See how it works. But we, we think, we, we inherently are thinking that being busy and doing a lot of things and accomplishing a lot of tasks in a certain amount of time is somehow incredibly valuable in the 21st century. Now, the irony of this is, of course, that every single person in the room has exactly the same amount of time as every other person in the room, right? I've been reading a few articles that talk about how time has now become the most valuable commodity because time is truly finite, right? You only have so much of it. Many other resources you can figure out ways to get more of, more money or other resources, but you can't get more time. No matter what the cell phone companies tell you, you don't get time back, right? In fact, now if you're an iPhone user, they send you a report about how much time you're wasting your life on your phone. Every week, it's convenient. It comes at nine o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, right? On your way to church, you wasted 7,000 hours. That's amazing, congratulations. How many of you have ever had to do at some part of your life a time audit. You know what I mean by a time audit? Yeah, okay, so some of you in certain fields probably have to do this for your job, but the idea is that you create a budget for your time the same way you might create a budget for your money, and you're essentially just trying to figure out where does the time go? Does anybody ever wonder that? Where does the time go? All right, so a time audit is just a really simple practice that at the end of a day, maybe this week you wanna try it, try it for one day. At the end of a day or at the middle of the day, Just write down in big blocks, like, what did I do from the time I got up to right now? 
and you could put labels on it, like I worked, or I spent time with friends, or I made food, or I you know, got ready for the next day, whatever you did. And just try to calculate for a day or maybe even a week, like where is actually my time going? And the reason for that is because I think we have to have some awareness of what we're doing with our time in order to escape the busyness culture that's threatening to engulf all of us. And we're going to talk today about what it looks like for Jesus to meet us in our busyness. That's the title of the sermon. What if Jesus comes and sits with us right in the midst of all of our crazy tasks and schedules and things that we're trying to accomplish? What happens then? What does Jesus say to us and what might change if we took that scenario seriously? Last week, Pastor Stephanie gave us this question. I think it's really helpful. She said, Jesus meets us in our everyday spaces and our ordinary chaos. But do we recognize Jesus' presence in the midst of our everyday spaces and our ordinary chaos? It's easier to recognize Jesus when we're all gathered here for the purpose of being Christian people, worshiping God together. It's harder to recognize Jesus in the midst of that crazy schedule when you're trying to get through all the things that you're supposed to do that day. So what would it be like if we recognize Jesus in the midst of our busyness? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to get the conversation going by looking at a story in the Bible that many of you may have heard before. It might be new to some of you. Uh, it's the story of Jesus' visit to these ladies named Martha and Mary. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got to have a little bit of background on these people. So Jesus is traveling in the Gospels in this part of Luke He's headed on his way to Jerusalem, uh, and he's telling people things. He's telling good news. The kingdom of God is near. He's healing people. He's in answering their questions. He's inviting them to repent, to turn away from things that they're doing and beliefs that they have and towards him and towards trusting him and what he's saying about God's kingdom. He has this pattern that I noticed as Stephanie and I were going through all the different stories of Jesus entering towns and engaging with people. There's a, pat, there's a particular pattern that's important, and that is that he enters into these towns. Sometimes you only get one line in the Bible. It'll just say, and then he entered into this village or something like that. Uh, and very rarely, when he enters into these spaces, does he go to find somebody and grab them by the shoulders and say, I need to talk to you. There's a couple examples of that, like Zacchaeus. Uh, he goes out of his way to meet this Samaritan woman at the well, so there's some special cases. But most of the time, Jesus doesn't say anything like that to anybody. He comes into a town, he comes into a space, he walks into a synagogue, and he waits. He waits to see who's going to engage him. And then we have all these stories of people trying to engage him. And they have all kinds of things that they want to engage him on. Some people want to challenge him. Uh, some people want to welcome him. But this pattern is so important for us understanding how to engage with Jesus in our everyday lives. I think Jesus is present in your everyday life, in my everyday life. But Jesus isn't the kind to grab you by the shoulders every day and make you pay attention to him. He's present He's near in your workplace, in your relationships, in your neighborhood, but he's also waiting on you. He's waiting on you to show interest. 
He's waiting on you to welcome him. He's waiting on you to ask a question, challenge him if that's where you're at in your life. God will not force us to recognize God's presence. That's a choice that we make. And you see that pattern over and over again in Scripture. In Luke chapter 10, where this story about Martha and Mary is found, there's a couple of other important pieces. The first is that this chapter begins by Jesus sending 72 of his disciples out into these towns and places where he intends to go. And he sends them with nothing, no purse, no bag, no sandals, no resources. And he asks them to look for peace and announce the good news of the kingdom of God. They come back totally excited about the authority that they have in Jesus' name. The next section of the chapter talks about how uh, a religious leader, a teacher, challenged Jesus about what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him a whole story about uh, a neighbor who's injured and a Samaritan person who's not a Jewish person helping that person and, um, and being a good neighbor to the person who was injured. And then we get to this story about Mary and Martha. And the reason that's all important is that there's uh, a trend, a pattern that Luke's building here. He's saying, um, here's a story about these people who are being sent out to start behaving like Jesus did in these towns and places. And they have to understand a different definition of neighbor than just their fellow Israelite. They have to be connected to other people outside of their own ethnic group. And then we get this story of Mary and Martha. And when we get to this piece, we again see the difference between someone who's challenging Jesus in the teacher of the law and someone who's welcoming Jesus in Martha. And so I want you to pay attention as we read the scripture to just see how you feel when you hear this story. Do you feel mostly defensive when you hear this story? Do you feel like you want to challenge Jesus back and say, I don't know if that's right. I've got some other opinions and I, I would like to share them. That's fine. He's open to that. Do you feel like you're open and welcoming and really receiving what Jesus has said? Pay attention to how you feel when you hear the story, okay? That's an important way for us to continue to hear what God wants us to hear in these pieces. So here, we're going to read Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. It'll be on the screen for you. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him, welcomed him, right? She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, are you feeling challenged at this moment? Are you feeling welcome to this story? This is a very powerful, even though it's a short story in Scripture. Maybe this gathering, I love, I love some of these pieces between the sisters, right? Maybe this feels like a recent family gathering that you've been to. Anybody been to a recent family gathering where four, three, four, two, one persons was doing all the work? 
and everyone else was sitting there waiting for the work to be done. That only happens in my family system. Yeah, there's usually like two people making food, somebody getting things ready. Everyone else is sitting around, right, waiting. Have you ever felt like you could march in there and say, don't you care, people? If you're the person doing the preparation, wouldn't this be a good line? Don't you all care that I'm working a lot harder than you? Get in here and help set the table, do something. Imagine what it would be like if Jesus just walks into your kitchen, your dining room, at 12.15 today. Jesus enters your space. How prepared are you for Jesus to visit you this afternoon? Okay? Would anybody have hospitality anxiety if Jesus was coming over to your house in like an hour? Some of you be running out the back door right now. Ready? Prepping for Jesus. I tried to find a good picture of a busy kitchen table. Does this kitchen table look like anybody's kitchen table at home? Nope, you guys are all neat. It's all ordered. Okay. What would Jesus notice when he first entered into your house? Imagine with me that Jesus is sitting at your table right now. He's looking around your kitchen. He's looking around your dining room. You're still in shock that this is happening to you. But what is Jesus going to notice about your life in your house if he's sitting in your space? You don't have to answer. Just think about it. For many of us, would we have to reschedule something in order to have time to meet with Jesus this afternoon? Or what if Jesus came and said, I want a meeting with you tomorrow at 9 a.m.? How many of you would have to reschedule something if Jesus had a meeting with you tomorrow at 9? Both of you. Okay, good flexible schedules. I think Jesus would pretty quickly realize how overwhelmed we all are, don't you? Wouldn't he look around and just say, wow, this is a really fast-paced life that you are all living in. And that's how Martha was feeling, I think, with Mary. She had a lot to do, and she didn't want her lazy sister, how she perceived to be her lazy sister, to be sitting there listening to Jesus. So she very honestly starts asking Jesus these do-you-care questions. I came up with a whole bunch of them. See if you resonate with any of these. Martha says to Jesus, now don't you care that I have all this stuff to do? Don't you care that we make the right preparations for your visit and all these disciple dudes that you're bringing with you? Don't you care about that? Don't you care that I'm doing all this stuff by myself when someone else could be helping me? Don't you care that my sister's pretending like she's way more important? She actually believes she could be a disciple who sits at your feet and listens to your teaching? Doesn't she know that her place is in the kitchen with me? Don't you care about that? Don't you care that she's violating all these normal gender roles that we all agree to? Don't you care that I'm the one who invited you into my house and no one is helping me? What do you care about? Get going. Tell them to help me. I think for many of us, in the way in which we're trying to relate to God in a really busy culture, is that we're saying to God over and over again, don't you care? Don't you care about how busy I am? Don't you care about all the stresses that I have in my life? Don't you care about all the responsibilities? Why aren't you helping me more than you are helping me now? We want to challenge Jesus a little bit in this, the same way that Martha did, I think. But Jesus, um, 
Jesus is ready to reframe Martha's yelling at him. I perceive her to be yelling at him. Does anybody else think she's yelling at him? Don't you care? He says to her this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. Jesus acknowledges that she's worried and upset about many things. I think 21st century American culture could be described as worried and upset about many things. Anybody else? We too are worried and upset about many things. Some of them are genuinely concerning things. Others of them are not genuinely concerning things that we are worried and upset about. I've been doing this exercise with a pastor training that I do through Luther Seminary, and it's simply called, What Keeps You Up at Night? And I've been asking both the pastors and to have them engage their congregations in just asking this one question and trying to get feedback from people. What is it that keeps you up at night, right? Something that you think about that might even disturb your sleep. And here are some of the responses that we've been getting back from about 40 or 50 congregations around the country. Here's the list that they've been bringing back. Uh, what keeps you up at night? Health concerns, uh, finances, being able to pay the bills, concerns about kids, both small children and adult children, job stress, uncertainty about the future, big decisions that need to be made, experiences of racism or discrimination, family relationships, marriage relationships, strained friendships, addictions, political disagreements, environmental concerns, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, don't hear me saying that these are not important things in our lives. They are absolutely important things, and God thinks they're important things. But there's two patterns of engaging this, right? There's the Martha pattern, which is to be worried and upset about many things and kind of yelling at God about why God's not fixing any of these things fast enough. And then there's a merry approach to this where she's decided that the most important thing to do in the midst of a lot of other things that have to happen is to sit with Jesus and listen to what it is he has to say to her. Jesus responds to Martha by saying, only one thing is needed. Instead of agreeing with her and telling Mary, yeah, get up and go, he says, no, no, this won't be taken away from her. And it's really important to note that there are no females in this period of time who would have been considered uh, worthy, and that's really the right word, like that wouldn't have been worth it to teach them as disciples of a rabbi. So there's a, whole, there's a whole gender thing happening here, and Jesus is very overtly in front of a whole bunch of guys who are jockeying to be the best male disciple that he has. He's honoring this woman by allowing her to sit there and listen to his teaching and ask questions. Hugely important to note that. But what's the one thing that Jesus is talking about? In just a few minutes I have left, I want to talk about what is he saying is the most important thing that we should be paying attention to. In the moment, right, it's that Mary has chosen to just sit and be with him and to listen to him and to receive his, his teaching. But Luke, the author of the book, has a much bigger point to make. Luke's trying to emphasize that the love of God is the first and foremost most important commandment. That's in the story right before this. Jesus has taught people that the two most important commandments are to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor 
as yourself. And then he just told a whole neighbor story about how we're supposed to be a, a very broad thinking about who our neighbor is and engage those folks. And then Luke puts this piece in to show how is it that you actually love God and put that at the forefront of your life. Jesus doesn't just want followers who do what he teaches them to do. This is one of the most radical things I think we can say about God. Jesus wants friends. Jesus says to them, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends, brothers, sisters in this case with Mary. The God of the universe isn't just looking for people who learn to be obedient to the things that he's told us to do or value. He actually wants to be friends with us. He wants you to feel known by him. He wants you to know him in an intimate way. Loving God means giving time to just sitting in God's presence with other people, listening to Jesus, sharing our own lives vulnerably with Jesus. This is central to what it means to be a Christian. It is a relational faith. God is a relational God and wants relationship with us. That real relationship requires prayer, listening, conversation, and attention. A few uh, month or so ago, Steph used this analogy where she talked about a marriage relationship and how if you went to a wedding and you saw two people committing to each other and one person stood up and said, I love you, I have sickness and health and all the things and I promise a whole bunch of stuff, and the other person said, okay, that sounds awesome for me. I promise nothing back to you, but that sounds amazing for me, right? That doesn't make any sense. God is, is offering so much to us. Jesus is offering so much to us, but he asks in return love, actual love, not just intellectual belief, but love, vulnerability, strength of relationship, conversation, back and forth. That's part of what loving God looks like. And centering our lives on an active relationship with Jesus where we take time to listen to God and share what's happening in our lives is the core of this relationship. So now, it isn't just that Jesus thinks you should abandon everything and not worry about any of the things that I just listed that keep you up at night. That's an escapist way of thinking about life that doesn't actually work. God knows all the things that we are concerned and upset about. But he is saying that if we prioritize relationship with him together, and we prioritize our relationships with each other, that our experience of God's love and loving God back transforms that whole big long list. It changes our experience of what it means to be worried about health, to be worried about money, to be worried about relationships, to be worried about the future. The more our lives are centered on deep relationship with God and Christ, the less worry we have, the more peace we have, the more confidence we have, the less stress we have, the more people in our lives we feel are supporting us and know us and can stand with us even when things are hard. We will recognize that... Um, we don't really need to be concerned about some of these things at all. And we will sense God's presence in the midst of all of those pieces. So let me invite the band to come back up.
there is a distinctly Christian way to approach busyness. And it isn't just to throw out your calendar and do nothing and sit in a closet and pray all day tomorrow, okay? That's not a good plan. But what if this week you took up a couple of simple challenges and you said, I want to center my life. I want to make the main thing the main thing. And I want to make sure that there's some time in my life to vulnerably share with God and hear from God every single day so that my experience of all these other pieces of my life will be shaped by this loving relationship that I know I have with God in Christ. So here's my challenge for you this week. One, make a list. When you go home today or tonight or tomorrow, make your own list about what, what keeps you up at night, all right? Just write it down. There's power in just naming it and saying, this is really what I'm worried about. Maybe share it with somebody that you trust. Exchange lists if you want. And then every day this week, take two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, however much time you can get together, and just say to God, here are the things that I'm worried and concerned about. These are my things. I'm not asking you to fix them all. I'm just giving them to you. I'm talking to you about them. I'm inviting you to reframe them and influence my life as I experience these things. When you're on your way to school or you're eating breakfast or before you go to bed, just have an honest, vulnerable conversation with God about what you're worried about in your life. And if you want extra credit, as if this was a class, I don't know why it's called extra credit, see if there's one thing you can cut out of your schedule this week. Cut something out. Don't show up for something. Decide you need a night off. Give yourself a break. Don't buy into the fact that every day is measured by how many things you accomplish between the time you wake up and the time you go to bed. Take some rest and maybe allow that space to be space where you tell God how grateful you are for your relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we desperately need help to fight off this busyness culture that we're trapped in. Every one of us feels the pressure in one way or another, God, of producing more, doing more. Help us to take a deep breath. Help us to realize that you don't define our lives in that way. You don't define our relationship with you in that way. More than anything, you want our love, and you want us to experience the love that you have for us. Allow your love towards us and our love for you to shape everything else we do. Make some space this week, Holy Spirit, for us to really feel your presence, to not just run through the week from morning to night, but to pause and to see you and to welcome you and to love you and to enjoy it. Help us as a church to be people who can model for others what it's like to say no because we're not worried about everything that might happen if we say no. And may that draw more people to want to know who you are and what kind of God would give people that sort of freedom. We love you. Give us the courage to be honest with you uh, and, Lord, the courage to say no to one thing this week that will create some space in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.